0: We are going to energise the country. Stop Brexit.
1: No more Mr Nice Guy.
0: Shameless and not sure this is a great idea. Order! Hello and welcome to the Debated Podcast. I'm your host, Will. And in this episode, I am delighted to be joined by Sajit Bakshi, who is the uh, head of political markets at Smarkets. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Uh, so to begin with, um, some people uh, necessarily know what markets does. Do you think you could explain uh, to the listeners what you do?
1: Yes. Um, Smarkets uh, offer political prediction markets where we allow users to trade the news so they can see something happening in politics uh, and take sides of it. Uh, we're a betting exchange, so we allow people to uh, basically put, take positions on either side of things happening and set their own prices. So it's a kind of peer-to-peer prediction market, is how we describe it.
0: Uh, And I can imagine that uh, recently, what with the election and Brexit, you've been very busy. Uh, What sort of predictions have you seen uh, coming out recently?
1: Um, Well, we've been running prediction markets for, I think, over 10 years. Recently on Brexit, we've been looking at things like uh, whether the UK would have its hard Brexit, a default Brexit. Whether it be renegotiation of the withdrawal agreement. Uh, We had every angle covered, really, of uh, Brexit. And most of the time, I think those were pretty correct for most of the time of the the markets.
0: Um, How do you think uh, we have changed perhaps our attitudes to the way that we are looking at, at, at betting on politics? Because, you know. At one time, perhaps the idea of uh, betting on a, a political outcome, particularly one that um, would affect people's lives, might have been viewed a little bit, well, perhaps not morally badly, but perhaps not in the, in the sort of like, light that we view it now. Why do you think uh, things have changed and people are perhaps more positive and more engaged with betting on politics than perhaps they were in the past?
1: So I think that there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of concerns that people have around what you might have markets on. Um, There's been numerous experiments in the US about creating more serious markets that could affect human life. I mean, we won't cover kind of political outcomes that may result in people dying. It's a it's an industry cliche in a way that if there is any market on someone leaving their position, if there's an assassination, that market is voided. No one will win any money on it. Mm-hmm. So the, there is a kind of enforced self-morality on stuff. But the, the next thing is, like, if it's in the public domain and if people are discussing it, then why shouldn't there be a market on it? Mm-hmm. Uh, the markets are not about creating a, a moral position and asking people to debate the rights or wrongs. It's just saying whether the, an outcome will happen in a certain way or not.
0: Mm-hmm. And recently, aside from the general election, we've seen um, at the meeting of NATO to celebrate the 17th anniversary of NATO, we've seen quite a lot of friction uh, between uh, President Macron, uh, Prime Minister Trudeau and President Trump. Has any of this sort of thing fed into the markets? And if so, what sort of things have you been uh, uh, seeing emerging?
1: So I think that from, well, the, I mean, there is on one side the newspapers always need to fill a certain number of pages. Mm-hmm. That, that's a given. So there's always space in the news cycle for things that people expect to happen. And if there isn't the news on that day, you don't get empty newspapers. Mm-hmm. So there is a level of speculation around the news, around the thing, actual things happening. That is maybe 60, 70% of it, and maybe 10% of that you should, you know, has a big political impact. Our markets are a great way of understanding what is worth seeing and not worth seeing, and what whether the current things that are discussed are actually moving the markets or not. So oftentimes you'll see, you know, expectations rising or things changing or some kind of borderline thing happening that apparently is going to affect everything, and our markets stay still. In which case you can kind of disregard that. In other cases, a little bit of information which you don't think is significant significantly moves the market. Now, for instance, with uh, Trump, at the NATO summit. Uh, everyone was expecting Trump to endorse um, Boris Johnson and Boris Johnson's popularity to fall. Mm-hmm. So you could start to see that, like the the chance of a Conservative majority started to kind of wobble a bit. But as soon as Trump said that he was going to leave without doing press conferences, press conference, um, the the odds of a Conservative majority jumped up. And I think a time time of speaking is about seventy percent.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, How much do you think the work that you do at Smarkets relates to uh, polling and polling predictions? How much of an influence do you think it has on the way that people uh, bet and the sort of like the suggestions that people might make one way or the other?
1: Polling definitely does influence what we do. Uh, Polling, um, we could see clear results of this based on the kind of uh, respect that people have for that particular poll. Uh, and it does inform, basically, how some people place their bets. On the other hand, polling doesn't give you a chance to kind of argue back. Mm. Markets does. This markets gives you a chance to see where the markets are moving as a result of polling and challenge them because you have inside information, because you can see the flaws in the polls, you can see the problems in the methodology, or, or you just simply don't believe it. You think it's a poll that's too biased to be really reliable in any sense markets really shows the kind of argument between different points of view in terms of a price in terms of trading. Um, And it's a great way to kind of see something move on on the release of one poll and then see the price pulled back by traders who just deny the validity of that poll.
0: Mm. Um, Now, one of the things that has also... uh been a key part of this election has been, as you mentioned uh, a bit ago, uh, the inference that we would likely be heading for a Conservative majority and whether uh, the Labour Party might be able to recover in terms of polling as it did at the last general election. Do you think that the sort of uh, preconceived notions that, for example, that Boris Johnson will be able to uh, win a majority uh, perhaps make people less likely to say, oh, well, you know, I'm going to argue the other side of you. I think that Jeremy Corbyn might do better, might deny him a majority or may even uh, be able to form some sort of government. Or do you think the fact that it is so prominent in the media, it makes people feel as if they have to react back and argue the other side of the uh, opinion, the other argument?
1: So I think the traders we have, there's, there's numerous kind of motives around why they trade in a particular way or why they they favor certain markets some don't really know much about politics but they just know about price movements Mm -hmm. Uh, some have some kind of inside knowledge it seems and some people you know will just use polling and you have the results of their kind of buying and selling of the price being the the implied probabilities that we show on our site now we have uh, 649 constituencies up and priced and being traded, which is the most of any any website I think that's available. I mean, there are some websites that do contain like the the markets, but without sensible prices. Mm-hmm. But we've actually invested in this to try to get to the results. And then we have separate markets on the scale of the conservative uh, seat share, uh, vo- uh, vote share, uh, Labour's positions in terms of seats. We've got markets on majority and minority. So there's actually a chance when you aggregate the constituencies to see whether they match the overall way that people are betting. And actually generally they do. They are aligned. And it's easy for people with individual knowledge about individual seats who know actually on the ground actually the Tories are going to lose a seat or Labour's going to gain a seat or Labour's going to lose a seat and Tories going to gain a seat to make those impacts on the constituency level and affect the aggregation um, of what we have. So we have a, a live seat map of the entire UK that changes as a result when people trade it. Now, if those pe- that aggregated knowledge at a constituency level added up in the right way, then you'd see it, are markets going out of alignment um, and they're not. So that means that whatever people know on a local level, what, in terms of what they're trading in, on markets and what people guess on the major- on a major level, in terms of majorities and minority governments, um, are aligned. It's, uh, are all the reports, all the information that we have that's been traded through the site is showing a conservative majority. Obviously, it's an implied probability. It doesn't mean it's definitely going to happen in this way. It just means that it's more likely than not, with a certain degree of confidence, which we call the implied probability, around it. So we are, as it, you know, according to all accounts, heading for that conservative majority.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, is there anything that has, uh, in the prediction, particularly surprised you? So, for example, uh, earlier on this year, we had the Liberal Democrats, you know one point in a couple of polls actually leading uh, the polls and at the moment uh, based on your forecast you're predicting them to uh, only get 16 seats was that something that surprised you or from the way that the markets trade in the pe- uh, people argued different points of view was this something that you've been expecting for a bit or um,
1: so the, be- the beauty of markets is that we're not t- we don't take a view I mean we we need to have some idea of how the market might go initially but then how it trades is actually good information for us and and good insight Mm -hmm. um so it's refreshing in a way to have a political conversation with someone that doesn't end in name calling and recriminations and and so on Mm -hmm. you simply get the price moving you get the implied probability moving and then on our charts you get the the you can see the, the the constituencies change color from one to the other the lib dems there were high hopes around at the beginning of this election what's really stung joe swinson harder than the most is her record in government her voting record supporting austerity which she now admits is a mistake is just coming back to bite her it's it kind of under it undermines her argument around how tory austerity has caused problems because the lib dems have been implicated in that in the, the coalition government um whether they can find a new message uh, that can bring more of the country along i'm not sure The revoke really hasn't pushed the needle as much as they thought it would. Um, But they, you know, 16 seats isn't bad for the Liberal Democrats. It's but it's nowhere near the glory days.
0: Mm -hmm. Do you think that, um, because you mentioned that austerity is one of the things that seems to have uh, really influenced the way that the uh, Liberal Democrats have been going in terms of vote share and seats? Do you think that the fact that um, the Conservative Party have been able to take on... uh, Brexit as something as their sort of like great issue, that this has diluted and perhaps shifted uh, some of the blame that some people have for austerity from the Conservatives to the Liberal Democrats.
1: Yeah, I I think that the Conservatives' message uh, discipline is extremely tight. They are focused around getting Brexit done. Now, what that actually means is Brexit for a generation. Because there will be endless conversations with the EU and negotiations and agreements that will will be at least 25 years long, at least 25 years long. So it's ironic that they're selling like an end to Brexit, but actually promising endless Brexit. Uh, The Lib Dems on their revoke um, side of things can't quite square the circle with the people who voted to leave. Um, Revoke seems too far for many people. Mm -hmm. Um, And Labour has pushed the austerity button as far as it can um really promising stuff to people who really have felt the sharp end of that coalition government so i mean you what you have in essence is two sets of messaging one around austerity one around brexit and then the lib dems are kind of a subset of that conservative message around brexit but the opposite side of it so i don't i think they've they've really not focused on on enough things around their unique proposition to win over people
0: mm mm-hmm. Uh, how much do you think the uh, manifestos have influenced the way that people are perhaps either uh, betting or will perhaps vote? Because, of course, in the last election, the Conservatives' manifesto really somewhat backfired on them uh, to quite a great extent over certain policies. Whereas this time, we don't seem to have seen the same sort of uh, focus or uh, sense of divisiveness over the manifestos that we did last time do you think that perhaps they're not as effective in this general election or as much of an issue
1: well i think that it's not really an issue it's a brexit this is a brexit um election as much as i didn't want to make a referendum a second referendum about brexit everyone takes every vote since that that referendum as a is another referendum on Brexit mm-hmm. ironically it's one of those things where we're in the opposite of what we say we are it doesn't really matter I mean the Conservatives last time thought they could get a big majority and actually get th- through a few unpopular things that they were they wanted to do anyway um, you know things I think they had something around fox hunting last time and a, a dementia tax which is just going to hurt their you know base and and really kind of wound them but they thought they would have the majority to bring that through now, everyone's struggling to get a point of through about Brexit. It's nothing else is relevant. And in fact, no other forecasts really matter because Brexit will change the landscape so dramatically. It will change the tax base it will change the industries we have in the country that, you know, you can't really draw up a manifesto based on the Britain of today. If if Brexit happens, we're going to have to totally reposition our economy and our place and how we want to move forward from this.
0: Mm hmm. Uh, I'd now like to uh, just uh, move over to the U.S. because, of course, uh, soon we will be entering a new decade. And of course, there will also be a presidential uh, election during uh, the next year. Uh, What sort of arguments have you seen over the U.S. presidential election? Because, of course, there are a lot of people uh, in Britain who perhaps aren't... uh, as enamoured with Donald Trump as his base, his uh, base in the US is, what sort of things have you been uh, seeing going on there in terms of uh, betting in the markets?
1: Well, I mean, it's one of those things where, we, you know, we kind of want, um, we may want one kind of uh, outcome, but mm-hmm. the reality is that we're faced with a different kind of outcome. Mm-hmm. Donald Trump has been predicted for a long time to remain um, the President of the United States to win his second term despite his um, despite or because of how he acts and behaves and how he speaks. Uh, He's currently trading at 42 percent on our market, um, which is pretty high for him, pretty high for him. We've had him uh, as low as 27 percent, 28 percent, and now he's up to, to 42, well ahead of his nearest competitor, well ahead of Elizabeth Warren, whose prices has tanked. Um, it just seems that he, I mean, I think maybe when the Democrats have sorted out their candidate, get some messaging behind that and are very clear about the proposition they're putting forward, we'll get a better view of what might happen, but at this stage, uh, if there's a election tomorrow, we're predicting a Donald Trump victory.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think that part of this, as, uh, as you mentioned, the Democrats are still choosing uh, their candidate and will be for a great deal of the rest of the year, do you think that the fact that there isn't the sense in this democratic race of a candidate, perhaps like Obama in 2008, representing hope and change. And that rather what we're seeing from the Democrats is things that we've already seen before. And there, and, and there isn't this sense that, you know, if they do uh, get, get a, a candidate, say, like Joe Biden or like Elizabeth Warren, that things won't necessarily change in the U.S. as much as people might want them to.
1: Um, yes, I guess. But you have Bernie Sanders as well still in, still in the running. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would be quite a radical democratic uh, position and ticket and may inspire the same kind of, of um, movement that we saw for Obama. But uh, Obama represented something, I think, quite different. And he was more conventional in many ways than than these people are they he represented a kind of that almost patrician stewardship around someone with a progressive agenda not too radical i mean he had healthcare reforms but didn't create the the nhs of the usa mm-hmm. he still worked within the existing kind of insurance system um and i think that you know bernie speaks to people who are outside of that system entirely and is and is a and as a, is a clear and avowed socialist mm-hmm. which is something i'd never expect to see high up on the in the us political system so I, I think there's potential for that um unfortunately our market doesn't see the <laughs> thing in the same way at least the people trading
0: on our market don't see it the same way mm-hmm. do you think that perhaps part of the reason that uh senator sanders has not uh yet been able to overcome? Um, Joe Biden or Elizabeth Warren is partly the fact that uh, with his previous uh, run during the um, 2016 presidential election, there's a sense that, well, this is something that we've heard before and perhaps, well, we might not have liked it in 2016. Why should we then like it in 2020?
1: Yeah, I mean, whether he has to change his message or not, I mean, what he's selling is quite compelling to the Mm -hmm. to the people who. Who could be voting for him in terms of healthcare, in terms of job security, in terms of um, you know better environmental controls? The question is though whether people can move past the kind of you know nationalism of um, of Trump and see their interests in a different way. Now, for some people who are very poor, they voted for Trump. He represents things that they actually agree, agree with. Whether we like it or not, it's irrelevant. If they connect with him in that way, then then that's one thing. But if if Bernie Sanders can get that grassroots campaign out, if people can explain to other people what his offer is, then there's a there's a good chance that he could swing it too.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, also uh, during November next year, we will also be seeing uh, elections for the Senate. And there has been um, perhaps some argument over whether the Democrats should focus perhaps not so much on the presidency, but in regaining the Senate. How likely do you think? at the moment, based on what the markets are saying, it is that the, dem- the Democrats regain control of the Senate. Um,
1: so the Senate uh, Senate races are kind of tricky in that way. I mean, I think that in the midterms, you had a lot of Republican seats mm-hmm. that were coming up for re-election. So, you know, as Trump said, he won the Senate. But then again, looking at those seats, he was almost certainly likely to. Uh, having a revision of the entire Senate... It's potential that the that the it could switch to a democratic control. What's interesting in the U.S. election is that when you see the people standing for different kinds of uh, position, they often have done the maths to such a degree that they know exactly the kind of people who are going to win or not win a certain seats. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, you might have people who are an air force pilot, you know, with a service history of working in Iraq versus another Air Force pilot also working in Iraq, you know, and the the candidates Mm -hmm. kind of resemble each other. I think the degree of, you know, understanding around American elections is is such that actually these things can go either way. The candidates can be picked by by either party. um, They're not necessarily so partisan. Uh, maybe trump has that sense of urgency around his own presidency that he needs to kind of get as much to as he can because these things can flip. i I wouldn't say it's a done deal either way at the moment in the senate i think that's that's more open
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, we've also uh, recently had uh, another general election in spain with the incumbent prime minister uh, being returned and having to work uh, again in a coalition do you think that for example in spain and we have seen it in other uh, European countries like Italy. The fact that there are elections much more frequently than perhaps there have been in the past makes it a bit more difficult uh, to predict the outcome of those elections.
1: I think you're seeing right across the world that there are many elections that don't resolve in any convenient ways. Spain's one example, Israel is another example. Um, I think you're seeing a lot of systems used to a kind of bicameral approach or bicameral approach in terms of parties um, being splintered by third parties, four parties, five parties, which make coalitions more difficult. Um, countries with a longer history of coalitions do 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 this better. I mean, in Germany, you almost had the Jamaica coalition where all the colours were almost represented. Um, I think for other more established countries where they don't have those kind of two supply system that's not easy to do I think in Spain there is genuine ideological difference between who they can bring into that party especially in regards to the Catalonian question mm-hmm. in terms of uh, kind of a lettering approach uh, and who would join that um, I think that what what is required is a kind of more grown up um, grown up politics and you see this in some countries where you have an agreed programme and people just vote on that programme it's not really a government of one talk type or another Mm-hmm. But it's a it's a group that's focused on some administrative changes and will do those together in unison, working on a case by case basis. And I think that's what we need to expect in the future going forward instead of these big majorities.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think and you uh, brought up Israel there? Do you think that the fact that um, uh, in, Netin- uh, in Israel Netanyahu is going through uh, certain difficulties and may possibly uh, be facing impeachment in the same way that in the US, uh, Trump is going through uh, similar problems? Do you think that we're perhaps moving away in certain areas from a sense of, oh, well, we can uh, beat these people in uh, elections if we uh, support a different side? And that rather it might be easier to go through the court system. Do you think that that's having some sort of like uh, effect on the way that people view politics? Of course, we've had in the UK, the famous... uh, male uh, headline enemies of the people do you think that this is sort of inflaming the political uh, situation in some way by uh, pitching in a sense one element of society against uh, the cause?
1: Well I I think in countries with constitutions you're always going to have a correct level of uh, judicial involvement in the outcome of elections or how things run or whether there's been correct Levels of proprietary held by people in state, mm-hmm. and that's that is the functioning a well functioning system. That's how it's meant to be, and that's the kind of thing that stops a revolution happening, and you know uh, manages change or manages problems in an effective way. Countries without a written constitution, it, it comes across very differently, and I think that's what you had with the Daily Mail um, uh, pointing out certain judges and their backgrounds, and that that was kind of outside the norm. It was not really, I think, for most people, an acceptable way to kind of politicise the judiciary. Mm-hmm. Um, But I think that, you know, a lot of people have been talking about the kind of constitutional reforms that could come in the UK as a result of all this, all the discussions. We have only real political sanctions around our political processes, not legal ones. Mm -hmm. And and I think the US system with more legal sanctions actually ends up working better. People can disagree with the politics as much as they want. But the president, as everyone else in the US, needs to abide by the law. It would be actually I think it would be refreshing to have the same system here.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, well we're coming towards the end of the podcast it's been great to have you on thank you uh, for coming on uh, and I'd like to ask you just one final question it's coming up to Christmas uh, some people have said that the general election that's going to be happening in a weeks time will be uh, or in a couple of days time depending when you're listening to this uh, is, is going to be a sort of a Christmas election so I would like to ask what would you like for Christmas
1: uh, world well, peace If that's okay.
0: Yeah, no, world peace is great. I'll
1: I'll be out of a job, but I'll be, I'll be, I'll find something else. I'll I'll (laughs) sacrifice that for world peace.
0: (laughs) Well, uh, I think that that's uh, an aim that we can all agree to, and is one that I think is uh, great. Thank you once again for being on the podcast. It's thank been you great. for having me. It's great speaking to you. Uh, if you would like to subscribe to the podcast, you can do on iTunes, Spotify, Spreaker and YouTube. If you'd like to email us, you can do at the at gmail.com. Uh, thank you for listening for this podcast. I hope you listen to the next one.